be you might be favored of the Lord today because um, all of us have to get out of here to camp, so I can't preach as long as as I want. So I can't just preach till two, three o'clock, or we have to leave before then. So I'm sorry to say that uh, the sermon will not go on forever. So Matthew four seventeen, you know. Um, is where we're going to start here in just a moment. Um, you know, I was watching a, a show that uh, Shane Beecham had told me about, um, and uh, watched part of it. Shane, it's called uh, "Is Genesis History." It's on Netflix, um, and I've watched half of it. And the half I watched, I recommend. Shane recommends the other half. He's watched it all. So if you trust Shane, go ahead and watch the whole thing. If you don't don't trust Shane, you can watch half of it and check in with me next time you see me. Okay. <laughs> And see if I still like it, but uh, the whole idea of the of the of the uh, the movie, a documentary, is basically to look at stuff in science and in the world, and talk to all these smart guys that have PhD and all these letters behind their names uh, about how the Earth was formed and how you know you know did God create the Earth? Can we find signs of? The flood in in you know in the Old Testament is you know in other words is did this really happen or is this just a nice story? And so it's very fascinating. They have a lot of different things they go to. They go to the Grand Canyon and they go to Mount St. Helens. And uh, I, I'm not my point is not to go into all that. So they go to all these different places. They talk about geology and they talk about dinosaurs and uh, all kinds of different stuff. Um, we had to shut it off because we were just like falling asleep, Shane. I mean, my wife was passed out. She missed the dinosaurs. And, uh, you know, it was a long week. And so uh, this wasn't last night either for sure. But uh, but one of the one of the points they had, uh, Cooper, can you pop, pop these lights back on? Thank you, sir. Um, one, of the, one, of the, uh, one of the basic points they had was that there's, there's two views about the origin of the earth. There's basically one that it was by chance and there was evolution over hundreds of millions and millions and millions of years. Or that God created the earth. There was a point in time and he created you know, the world and the earth just like it says in the Bible. And so both those people that believe those things, they view the evidence through a different lens, through a different perspective. In other words, and they called it, they called, they use this word, they said there's, there's two paradigms. So if you have the paradigm that only chance and a long time could produce life, then you look at the evidence a certain way. When you look at the Grand Canyon, you have to say, this was hundreds of millions of years of water running through it. Now, if you look at the, the same evidence, everybody's looking at the same evidence, same Grand Canyon, same whatever, you know, rock formations, all this different stuff. Um, but from a different paradigm, you can sometimes look at the evidence and see it differently. And so what needs to happen for someone to move to the other camp, per se, is there has to be a change of perspective. There has to be a paradigm shift that has to happen. 
Because if you see things, if it can only be this way, then no matter what comes across, you run it through that filter. And my point today is not to prove creationism versus evolution, although I do definitely believe that Genesis is history, that God did create the earth. Just to clear that up, uh, to make sure you know where I stand on that. I believe Genesis really happened. It's not, a real, it's not just a fun story. It's not a fable. It's not just... Something that happened, I believe there was a flood, that the world was flooded, and many of the signs in the earth for things like the Grand Canyon point to a massive, one-time, huge event that changed everything, not a hundred of millions of years of change just slowly going. Okay, but just FYI. So I believe that really happened. I believe that there really was an ark and all those things that happened. They're not just nice stories. But... The idea of changing our paradigm is what stuck with me, and I want to talk about that today. It says this in Matthew 4.17. This is right when Jesus starts his ministry, and it says this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now here's what the word repent means. It's first a paradigm shift. It's a change of thinking, a change of mind. So Jesus was saying, in order to understand spiritual things, in order to understand the things of God, the kingdom of God, you need to repent. Now part of repentance is also turning away from something and going a different direction. But it starts with a change in perspective. It starts with a paradigm shift that has to happen. And Jesus is basically saying, hey, look, the kingdom's here. You need to change your perspective so you can see it, so you can participate in it, so you can receive it. Because if you don't change it, you're going to miss it. Jesus showed up to a religious community that was waiting for him, but they didn't recognize him. Because they didn't repent. They didn't change their paradigm. They had a certain view of things that this is the way that God does stuff. And if it doesn't show up like this, then that's not God. And so when God showed up and didn't do it the way they thought he would, and he was even saying, you've got to change. You've got to change. You've got to look at this differently. You have to think differently. You have to see differently for the kingdom's here. Most of the religious people, the people that knew the Bible of the day, the, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, they missed Jesus because they were looking through a different paradigm. They were looking for an earthly king, and Jesus came as a humble, heavenly king. They were, they were looking for someone to, to physically save them, and Jesus was looking to spiritually save them. They were looking for a kingdom established on earth where they could rule and reign with him. And God was saying, no, that kingdom's going to be established in, in the heavenly realms. You're not going to be able to see it with your natural eyes. You're not going to be able to recognize these things. So you have to repent. You have to change the way you think. You have to have a change of perspective. So Jesus, it says, and it, it doesn't say that that was Jesus' shortest sermon. Like, it's a really short sermon, right? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Thanks. Let's pray. <laughs> Some of you are like, I wish this sermon was that short. Right? Okay. But basically the idea was Jesus kept saying that. He kept saying, hey, in order to understand that, you've got to repent. The kingdom of heaven is right here. 
And so the things of God, in order to understand them, we have to, we have, to have a change of perspective sometimes. If we don't change our paradigm, we'll miss what God's doing. We have to change our, our paradigm all the time because all the time my mind is being, in the Bible it says it's being renewed. I'm being, I'm being changed. If I'm a follower of Jesus, you know, if you gave your heart to Jesus today, then you've been changed. You're now a child of God. Everything is different now. The old is gone and the new has come. And you will have a paradigm shift. You will have a change in the way you see the world. You will have a, a, a change in the way you see things, and you have to keep changing the way you see things. It's not like a one-time deal. You don't just, wow, that was it. That was cool, and then just life goes on. No, it's like every time God shows up, He's sometimes changing the way we think. He's changing our paradigm because His message is still the same. You've got to keep repenting. You've got to keep changing. You've got to keep thinking differently. You've got to keep turning away from the way you were doing things. You have to repent and change. See, repent is a good thing. It's a blessing. Repentance opens up the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, look, you leave that away, your eyes will be open to something that you never imagined. The kingdom of God. You and, and then the whole rest of the New Testament, basically, is the paradigm shift, a revelation of what changes. You know, the community, the religious community that Jesus came to, they were following all the rules so they could get to God. Their paradigm had to totally change where God took care of that all on His own. When Jesus died on the cross, He says, Hey, I, I paid the price. I, I've met the requirement of following all the rules. He kept the law perfectly. He never sinned once. When Jesus did that, and then He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that not just for me. I'm going to do that for all of humanity. Because He was a representative of every single one of us when He died on that cross. And when He rose again, we could be a representative of our new life in Him. But we have, to, we have to look at things differently. You know, it's easy to, to look at things and go, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. And we find ourselves in the old paradigm. The old paradigm where I'm working myself to God rather than God coming to rescue me. Because the new covenant, the new testament is that Jesus came for me, not that I have to get to Him. He came to me. And all I have to do is go, ooh, change my view. There you are. There's the love of God. There's the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom is near. In other words, hey, it's right here if you'll just open your eyes. You don't have to do all this stuff. You don't have to earn your way into heaven. You know, I don't necessarily believe that Christianity is a religion, but if you classify Christianity as a religion, it's the only religion where you don't work your way to God. You don't work your way to heaven, where you, where you don't earn it, where it's like, man, Bill, if, if you're not good enough, you may not make it to heaven. I mean, where you're unsure, where you're like, can you imagine that? I mean, you don't have to be unsure. It's like my, your whole life you work and you work and I'm trying to be good, I'm trying to be good, I'm trying to be good, I'm trying to be good. And it's like when, you, when you're at the end, you're like, I don't even know if I made it. Hey, here's the good news. The good news is, hey, Jesus already opened the door and says, you're in. Come on in, open the door. That's a whole lot better news than I died for you, but... You have to do all this stuff, and then you're going to make it. And, but you might not. <laughs> I might not like you as much as somebody else, right? 
That's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus met it. We don't have to work to be saved. You know, it's a, it's a paradigm shift, though. Have you ever found yourself in the old, old mindset where you're like, I gotta, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. Hey, we get to do those things. Jesus did all the things because he got to, not because he had to. He wanted to do it. He had a desire in his heart. He loved his father so much that he says, I'm, I gotta follow him. I love him so much. Whatever the father does, I'm gonna do what the father is doing because I love him. I love him so much. He didn't have, it wasn't hard for Jesus to follow the father. He loved him. And that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want it to be hard for us where we're, we're working real hard. It's, it's where we're we're in love with him. We're like, I want to do that. I want to bless people. I want to worship you, God. I don't have to worship you. I don't need the worship leader to get me excited to worship you. I'm worshiping on Monday afternoon because there's something in my heart where I love you. Because my view has been changed. My perspective has been changed. You know, one of the other perspectives that, that changed right away when Jesus came was who God was. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God looks like? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And look at Jesus, and that's God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, the religious community of those days, they had, they had kind of twisted the view of God so badly that the common person was probably thinking, there is no hope for me. That's why when Jesus showed up, who were the people that were rushing to Jesus? All the normal people like you and me. It's like Jesus showed up and they were just drawn to him. Why? Because they're like, I like you. This other guy I've heard about, I don't want to be close to that guy. I don't want to get close to God. But if you're like God, then I want to be close to God. So now we're going to get to one of the real points on the notes. Okay? How about that? <clears throat> Here's one of the paradigm shifts that, that Jesus, that we need to have in the kingdom is this. 1 John 4 and verse 10. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. One of the paradigm shifts that I have to get is that love doesn't start with me. It starts with God. See, we have a whole culture that defines love by what I think is love, right? And we have actually turned love into this. What makes me feel good is love. And we do that sometimes even in our marriages. Let's, let's be honest. Gentlemen, I'll just speak to you because I've only been a husband in a marriage. And, um, you know... When I say I love my wife, does that mean just she's making me happy? Am I like happy with her at that moment? Is, is she doing what I want her to do? Are we having the physical benefits of marriage more often and so we're more happy? Get what I'm talking about here? You know, it's like, oh, wow, I really love you now. Well, now, wait a second. You're like, are we in church here? I didn't say the S word, okay? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> don't tell me you don't know about this. Okay. Um, but here's the deal. Is that an expression of my love or is that just making me happy? When I say I love you. You're like, oops. Because then I, I'm, I'm defining love by what blesses me when love is 
as defined in the Scriptures, is this, sacrifice. Me being hurt, so you're blessed. So you're like, do you love your, do you love your spouse now? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Are you deciding to be hurt so they can be blessed? God said, hey, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself. So there's a paradigm shift that love is not about me receiving something. Love is about me giving something. And it might be to my detriment. Now, ultimately, it was, it was not to Jesus' detriment. And so I believe that when we sacrifice, we have the same thing happen in our life. There's the resurrection, the touch of the Holy Spirit, the power of God that's released in us. But it's a step of faith. It's a paradigm shift to sacrifice instead of get what I want. I mean, there's lots of church people all over the United States that have this totally flipped around. Let me tell you about those people real quick. I'm not going to try not to get too personal. They go to only the church they like, and if it stops being the church they like, then they go to another church. Because it's not, the church isn't meeting their needs. That doesn't sound like giving of yourself and sacrifice, does it? Love is this. I'm going to get less of me so you can have more of you. I'm going to take less so you can have more. It's a paradigm shift. You know, love, you know, in our culture, there's all kinds of, you just got to have love. Okay, well, what do we mean by that? We just mean like a good feeling? We just mean like a good emotion? What, what is love? Love is commitment. Love is, is sacrifice. Love is laying down your life. We have to know that love does not initiate with me. It initiates with him. That's the other thing we have to know is that we don't have to be the source of that love. It says in Romans 5, 8 that the Holy Spirit poured out his love in us. In other words, I'm, I'm preaching this stuff and I'm thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this. I mean, I don't have enough feelings for people to lay down my life for them. Like, if we wait for the feeling, is it going to happen? Because love is not a feeling. It's an act of your will. It's an old song. Love is not a feeling. It's an act of your will. Don Francisco, I think. <clears throat> Here's another free, free tidbit here. Play a bunch of Christian music when your kids are little, and they'll remember it when they're 40. I'm serious. There are songs that are in my heart that was played over and over again, and I will never forget them. And you know what? I didn't understand what they meant when I was five. But when I'm 40, I get it a little bit more and go, wow, there's something to that. So play some truth in your house. Play some truth. That was free. So... Here's the other thing is that love is because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, love is forever connected to truth. If you don't have something that's true, then you can't really have love going on there. 
Someone, two people can say, oh, we love each other and we have all this stuff. And if there's, you know, let's just take, for example, you're not married and you're together and there's those physical benefits happening, that's not love because it's been disconnected from truth where that belongs only in marriage, where the trueness of love and joy and physical satisfaction and pleasure is only found because love without truth is not really love. And truth without love is not really truth. They're forever connected because the one who is the truth was sent from the Father who is a God who is love. So love is forever connected to truth. So where you find yourself disconnecting from something that's true, let's just take anything in the Word of God. I can say it's love all I want, but if it's not the truth of what God says, then it's not really love. Sometimes we have to say some hard things to people. And you're like, oh, you don't love me. You don't love me. Because we've turned love into doing what I want. If you love me, you'll do what I want. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't, haven't found that scripture, uh, you know, that where Jesus says, everyone that loves you is going to, you know, do what you, they want. If you feel good and you want it, then it's love. <laughs> It's not in the Bible. <laughs> Jesus said this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. In other words, if you really love me, then you will obey my commands. So if you're not obeying my commands, then you probably don't really love me. That's in the book of John. Now the solution is not to try harder, right? If I'm not obeying His commands, what's the solution? Not to try harder. No, it's fall in love with Jesus. Because He's already said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. It's not try to keep my commands so you can show that you love me. It's no, because you love me, you will keep my commands. It's a little paradigm shift right there you have to make because you can get stuck in a different paradigm where you're again trying to earn God's love and we can't do that. We've realized that's not the kingdom. The scripture doesn't talk about that as being a part of the kingdom. That's, that's a different paradigm. That's a, that's a twisted paradigm. But love is forever connected with truth. Here's another one. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna close with this one. Matthew 19. In verse 13, it says this, Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. See, there was a paradigm shift that was happening right there that said the younger generation is a priority. Amen. Children are a priority. I'm going to go on a little soapbox here. You know, one of the, in general, just churches in general, I'm not even going to get specific, one of the hardest places to fill volunteers is in ministering to children. We, don't, we haven't had the paradigm shift. That's why. All the disciples were like going, Hey, this is not important. Get out of here, man. You are loud. You are rowdy. You, are, you do things that are disruptive. Anybody had a child lately? 
They don't obey you sometimes. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that's going on. They throw fits. They act like babies until they're... Well, some people never get out of it. Have you seen that? <laughs> right? Look around. You're like, they're still throwing fits, right? That looks like a two-year-old fit right there, brother. <laughs> still throwing fits. They just haven't matured. But, you know... Children, like, get them, get out of here. And Jesus is like, uh-uh. Bring them in. Here, Jesus goes even further. Watch this. In uh, Matthew 18, chapter before, verse 1, it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, I think, here's, here's the deal. You would have been thinking this too if you were one of the 12 disciples. You start feeling a little bit special. You've been sent out. You've cast out demons. You've healed the sick. You've seen some amazing stuff. You're like, I'm, I'm pretty cool. And then so you're like, you know what? But I want to find out how cool I am. One through 12, what number am I, right? I mean, they didn't know that Judas was 12 yet, okay? <laughs> Nobody knew that he was going to betray Jesus, okay? So they're like, they thought maybe Judas is the one, you know? So they come to Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know? And so, I mean, again, I don't, why are they asking that question? They're, they're, I don't know. But maybe they're just thinking. And so Jesus totally throws like a huge curveball. I mean, we're talking a 12-6 break, 14 inches straight down, uh, batter swing and miss. He called a little child and had him stand among them and said, I tell you the truth, unless you change, unless you repent, and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, we don't, I've read it in my Bible so much it doesn't shock me like it should. But this is shocking. The disciples are, <laughs> I'm not even in the top 12 is what they're thinking right then, you know? They're like, I'm not even close. You know, they're, they're thinking it's one of them or maybe one of these outside people that's, that's been following them because there was, there was a whole group of people that followed Jesus. It wasn't just the 12. There was, a, there was an entourage of people. It says there was women who were actually funding the ministry of Jesus. Even back then, he was released, women were being released to be empowered under Jesus, FYI. So um, Jesus says, hey, little kid, come on here. Come on over here. Here's the greatest right here. You've got to become like this. And Jesus, of course, wasn't talking about the fits. He wasn't talking about the whining. He wasn't talking about the poopy diapers. He wasn't talking about any of those things. He was talking about the heart of a child that has simple faith and believes. And I believe also the imagination. Man, little kids can believe all kinds of stuff. They can come up with all kinds of creative things. And I was talking with my my mother-in-law was talking about this uh, a couple weekends ago as we were getting together for dinner that if you test like a five- or six-year-old, I may be screwing up this thing a little bit, but around a five- or six-year-old, almost every five- and six-year-old will test at the top of the creative creativity score like if they give them a creativity test whatever that is right i hope i don't have to pass that to get out of school but um at a, if you give it to five and six year olds every single one of them will come out as like a creative genius and if you test those same kids at 12 
there'll be a whole lot of them that have dropped off. In other words, we learn to not be creative. We learn to not dream things. We learn to not use our imagination. And I believe God wants to have us to have a holy imagination. You know, it's like sometimes we want to have things that come up in our heads because we have to see things differently. And so, you know what? A child, they imagine a whole different world. They, they imagine fun stuff. They imagine amazing things. So when you get older, what you do, you start, you start well, we've got to tone it down to reality here, bro. <laughs> we've got to be practical. You know, sometimes when people use the word practical or let's be real, all they're saying is, stop having faith. Sometimes practical is in opposition to faith. Not always. <laughs> I'm not saying a broad... I'm saying sometimes that is just someone's lack of faith speaking because they don't want to step out into something new and take a risk. Jesus said, hey, unless you change... To view the world, to view the kingdom of God like a child, you're not going to get in. You're not going to experience the blessing. You're, you're, you're going to miss some stuff. You know, kids, kids have a lot of fun. So if, if you don't have a lot of joy in your life, there's a paradigm shift that can happen. And God, look, I'm not, talk, I'm not trying to minimize hurtful things. If, if you know me, you know that's totally not the case. Um, God is, is into healing our hearts, but I believe He does want us to live with joy. Even if we're in a severe trial, even if we're going through it, there's just something inside us where we know He's with us. You know, one of the most powerful healing tools in, in different methods of, of bringing inner healing in people's lives is sometimes just to say, God, show me where Jesus was during that time. A lot of times people have a view, they have a, a picture in their heart or God will show them something where, where he was in the hardest place in their life. And then they realize, I was never alone. I was not really abandoned. I thought I was alone. I thought I was abandoned. I thought no one was there, but he was there with me. And just knowing that God never left them can bring healing in our hearts sometimes. But we have to have a paradigm shift. I was talking with uh, somebody Somebody this week, and uh, they they said, "Well, God's been really been dealing with me about being negative. Um, that I always kind of have a, a little bit of a negative view, and He's been dealing with me in the area of hope. In other words, if you always are thinking about the bad thing that that could happen, you're not living in hope. And so, you know, again, what's happening in this person that's having a conversation with me? A paradigm shift." They're learning, hey, the way they're viewing life needs a little bit of tweaking. There needs to be a, a little bit of, you know, just, you know, when you go, have you ever been to the eye doctor and they, they flip the two things, you know, A or B, you know, dog, cat, you know, you're, some of them, I, when I go, usually it doesn't matter. <laughs> I can't see anything through either of them. You know, can I have my contacts back so I can see? Um, but, you know, sometimes there's a, you know, it's, it's like Jesus does that in our hearts spiritually where there just needs to be a little bit, hey, you're seeing with B and it's really blurry, and then he just, oh, that's the letter A. I thought that was like a giraffe. Um, <laughs> oh, those are letters you're showing me. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> but, you know, it can be like that in the kingdom where, where God can say, hey, look, the way you're looking at life, you know, just for example, you know, hey, if you're looking at only what, could happen that's bad, you're not living in hope. I need to flip the switch and say, hey, there's a paradigm shift. I have hope if I have Jesus. 
If I have Jesus, I have hope. In other words, and hope is confident expectation of good. Fear is confident expectation of bad. Really. You're afraid of what might happen. And so that's fear. But I don't want to put my faith into fear. I want to put my faith in hope. Because faith, hope, and love go together. So my question to you is this. I've just given you a couple examples. We could, we could preach for a long time about paradigm shifts. But I think that the Holy Spirit can do a great job of speaking to us. So I just want to take a minute and let Him speak to each and every one of us. Is, has God been stirring something in your heart? Has He been trying to say, I need to, you know, there's just a little bit of a tweak. Maybe it's not a gigantic leap, but it's like a little bit of a shift of the way you see things. It might be something about Him. It might be something about you. It might be something about your situation you're going through. But God wants to give you a perspective. He wants to have you change so that you can receive and participate in the kingdom of God. And so right now where you're at, I'm just gonna, we're just gonna invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. If you want to close your eyes and, uh, Holy Spirit, we just, we just invite you right now to, to, to begin some paradigm shifts. Lord, for some of us, there's some perspective changes. Lord, we, we pray that, that the ways of, of looking at life that we have that are, that are incorrect, that are blurring reality, Lord, that we, we choose to believe that your reality is the true reality. Lord, we choose to believe that you're the source of love. We choose to believe that you are good. We choose to believe that we can do nothing to get into the kingdom except trust you, except receive the gift. We choose to believe whatever it is that you're showing us. Change our hearts, God, change our, our perspective on life. And Lord, we know we're going to receive more of the kingdom because it's very near. You said we repent because the kingdom is right here. And we can see it, we can experience it, we can, we can see its power released as we walk with the King of Kings. Because we know, Lord, wherever the King is, that's where the kingdom is. And Lord, we've believed in you, those of us that have trusted you for salvation, the king is in us, and so wherever we go, there's an opportunity for the kingdom to be present. And we invite you to change our perspective. Lord, maybe it's on, on people who, who don't think like us, Lord, that you want to change our perspective to begin to see them in a different way, to begin to have a paradigm shift so that we can not look at the same thing and react the same way. We can look at the same thing and react differently because we're seeing from your perspective. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts and our minds. Touch our spiritual eyes and our hearts so that we can be more like you. Lord, help us love. Lord, we need to love like you. The world needs love right now. They don't need to hear about it. They don't need us to talk about it. They need to see it. Lord, and we thank you, Lord, that you did a great job, that you demonstrated your love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, so we, we pray for a demonstration of real love, sacrificial love to people around us that don't know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Change that perspective. Let God speak to you. I believe that the Lord's going to begin to highlight things in your life. If you still need prayer, uh, Come on up and we'll pray with you real quickly before I go to camp. So uh, if you're going to camp, we are going to have dinner, uh, lunch down in the cafe here in just a minute. Um, and we'll have all that set up in here in just probably about five or, five or ten minutes. So.